The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 17 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. I hope that you are all doing well. I hope that you are healthy. I hope that you are staying in place and that you are not getting too much cabin fever. <laughs> um, before I get started with anything, I just want to say thank you uh, so much just to, to all the people that reached out to me over the past couple of weeks after I posted the last podcast. I had some really uh, kind and thoughtful and heartfelt uh, responses to that episode. Um, yeah, I feel like I don't know. A lot's changed in the last two weeks since I recorded that, and not a lot's really changed. So, um, I guess it's more that I, that feeling of like things normalizing. I mean, obviously nothing is normal, but it's that idea of like things feeling a little normal. I think it also helps too, since uh, the news over the past couple of days that we've been flattening the curve here in New York City, it's been good. Um, I mean, it's been obviously stressful. We still we still hear ambulances uh, frequently, but not like nonstop, like around the time that I recorded. That was, that the day that I actually recorded the last episode was probably the worst day for us here. Um, I read that it was the number one, um, like highest record of 911 calls in the city ever. And that like was even more so than uh, on September 11th. So it, it all makes sense. Um, but yeah, that was a bad day. I, we, at the end of that day, we just took some time to like sort of reassess what we need in our lives. So we stopped like we, we would watch the news until Governor Cuomo spoke. And then after Governor Cuomo speaks, now we, we try not to watch the news. And uh, we don't really read too many articles after that either. Um, and yeah, just like, just trying to put things in place so that we could maintain our sanity. Because uh, like I said, we, we are the new epicenter. We still are. We are now the international epicenter of the COVID crisis here in in New York City. And if you actually look at some of the maps that they've been putting out, um, the two most affected zip codes, like with the, the worst caseloads, um, my zip code is one of those two. So, um, but my husband and I are healthy, my family's healthy, um, and that's all we could ask for at this point. So, yeah, I, I just want to first off, just start off by saying thank you to everybody that reached out and said kind words and appreciated the fact that I was very, very candid and open in that, that episode. I honestly thought that I was going to talk about what's happening in the world, like 
for a couple minutes and that ended up being like 20 minutes worth of talking, but I feel like it was necessary. Um, one thing that I'm trying to do in my work right now is to obviously acknowledge like what's happening, but to try to bring the focus now away from, uh, COVID or coronavirus or whatever, whatever you want to call it now. Um, I think it's impossible not to touch upon it. So I'm doing that, but, um, like I'm with my company, for instance, uh, movement headquarters, ballet company. Um, we're currently just pausing things. We're, we're in a really good place right now. Um, because we don't have any overhead being a a new pickup company. Like the only overhead I have is really to take care of, like I took care of our taxes and then I, um, have to pay our monthly website fee and there might be like one other thing. So, um, we're really well positioned to just pause. Obviously I want to move forward, but I, I, with anything right now, like talking about summer teaching, like I don't feel like okay planning for the future because I don't know what the future is going to look like. Um, I plan on being there for the future, but <laughs> um, I don't know if like we're going to be in the next Great Depression or if the economy is going to bounce back. I don't know if as soon as things like restrictions are released, if we're going to be able to travel wherever we want. I don't know if the schools that are I've already agreed to bring me out for the summer will still even exist uh, by the time that this is over. So for me, instead of like planning for the future, what I've been doing is I've been planning uh, just week to week. And I, with, with our company, um, people are like, you need to be making art and you need to be like, becoming more and more relevant. And I'm okay, honestly, right now with just pausing. We're not just like stopping, but like I've gotten really tired of seeing all of these emails and posts and everybody's like during these uncertain times, like, yeah, okay. We know they're uncertain. We're, we're here. Um, or (laughs) like people being like, getting off the couch. Like I, I, I'm just kind of trying not to like do all those things to remind us like the position that we're in. So, um, I've just been taking it a little bit easier. So, I mean, essentially it's been 26 days now since I started quarantining my husband it's been 23 days. Um, and I, I did like a little assessment in my notes of like what I've accomplished in 26 days. <laughs> um, and it's been interesting because like things have, have definitely evolved. So I've developed six educational dance videos. I have uh, two basic ballet home bars, two intermediate advanced ballet home bars. I have a basic contemporary home warm up and an intermediate advanced contemporary home warm up. And uh, if you are interested in receiving information about those, you can uh, you can go on my social media and send me a direct message. Um, or you can go, th- uh, you can go through my website. Uh, this is the Barry Corollis one, Barry, uh, and send me a message and I'll tell you how to do that. What I've been asking is for $12 donations or more, or if you can't afford it, uh, I'm still open to sending you the links. Um, but yeah, just so that, uh, it's been helping me to survive while I wait to see what's happening with unemployment. I'm very lucky. I didn't realize that I qualify for unemployment. So, um, it's not going to cover all of my New York bills. Just my, my husband and my rent and health insurance is like, what is it? It's like $3,600 a month. That's before any other bill. So, um, yeah, unemployment not going to, is not going to cover that, but yeah. So, um, these educational dance videos have really been helping with that. And people have been very generous through Venmo and PayPal. And I, 
appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I've developed six educational dance videos. I've gotten to uh, World 3 Stage 4 on Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle on Nintendo Switch, which I purchased like a couple days into the quarantine. Um, I wrote an article for Dance Magazine about the rethinking the idea of dancers' resilience. Um, I've not ordered takeout once. Um, living in New York, like you survive on Seamless and Grubhub and all of those sites that deliver um, Uber Eats, whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, my husband and I have not ordered takeout once. We have made every single meal. Um, I don't think I've ever done so many dishes in my life. Uh, but it's good because it means we're saving money. Um, what else? I wrote an article for Dance Teacher Magazine, which just came out yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I hurt my back from sitting too much. That was yesterday. So I'm taking it a little bit easy now because it, it's like, it's not really bad. It's not my typical lower back thing, but my mid back is just really sore. So uh, I've been editing videos too much and writing too much. So that's also going to account into me taking some time away from that kind of stuff. But, um, I've taught no zoom classes though. I'm doing my first one tomorrow for old friends from Pacific Northwest ballet, Lindsay deck and Carol Cruz. They asked me to teach a contemporary class to some students that they have been coaching. Um, what else? Oh, I've been rejected from two fellowship and residency applications that I, I sent in. Um, <laughs> that's sad. Uh, I've cried. Uh, I've cried like two or three times. Um, once with you guys, uh, I've laughed. I've numbed my anxiety through multiple methods of intoxication. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I've FaceTimed with friends and family, um, which I never do. And I've had phone calls, which I never do. I hate talking on the phone. Um, in fact, yesterday I talked to a friend from Pacific Northwest Ballet that I haven't talked to in eight years. We spent three hours just catching up. It was great. Um, I've hung out my window to clap with neighbors for the healthcare workers. Um, it's, yeah, I mean... I'm home. It's actually passed by. These 26 days have passed by really quickly. And I mean, they're saying that it could be, I mean, it's definitely going to be at least for till April 30th at this point, it seems that we can't leave. And that's what now it's the ninth. So I'm recording on Thursday. This will come up on Friday the 10th. So that's what, like another 21 days. I think I got this. Um, obviously I'm going to get antsy, but you know, life is more important than leaving my apartment right now. Um, so yeah, this is usually the, the area where I tell you about my future plans. But like I said, right now, I'm just trying to be present for activities. Um, it seems much more relevant to be doing that. And I've put a hiatus on planning for the future, like down, like in the next like six, three, six months. Um, I, I feel too overwhelmed. And I know that those plans are likely to change. So what's the point in setting uh, plans when you don't have parameters to plan? I plan everything. I have goals for everything. But seriously, like I said, we don't know if like when we come out of this, it's going to be the next great depression and nobody can afford like my rates. I have like, I have nice rates. I'm, I'm proud of my rates. Um, and who knows, like in the next, like it, when we're finally let out of our apartments in two months, like how many people haven't been working or have lost clients or business and will they be able to pay my rate or am I going to have to cut my rates in half? Like I can't even plan that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm setting weekly plans and a lot of that has actually just been not tasking myself so much or trying to accomplish so much. Um, 
after movement headquarters launched, I taught the next day and then I took three days off before going to teaching, back to teaching, uh, podcasting, writing, calculating finances from my company debut, flying to Denver to judge and teach at Youth Maker Grand Prix and more. Um, and I kept saying I need a week or two off and I didn't get it, but it's, it's odd because now that I've been given the opportunity to have this time off, um, I didn't give myself that chance. Um, so while I'm not just like completely stopping, uh, I've been easing the amount of work that I'm doing and trying to relax more. Um, because I'm sure that once the world opens up again for business, I, things will be moving faster than fast. So yeah. Um, all right. So there you go. 12 minute intro people. Um, Let's get on to today to today's to, 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 to today's topic. Um, I wanted to do something I don't think I've actually done before. I wanted to share with you my favorite choreographers, and um, my hope in doing this is that maybe uh, maybe you've heard of these choreographers, maybe you haven't, maybe you've heard of their works, but you don't know who they are. Maybe you've heard of. Uh, you, you've seen something and you'll recognize the name when I say it. Uh, I don't know. But my hope is that while you're at home, that you'll maybe this will inspire you to go and do some research. You can go figure out who these who these people are. You can go onto YouTube and you can find some footage and learn about some really wonderful dance makers. Um, and yeah, it's just education here. So um I don't know. I initially when I was performing, uh, the goal was always like to work with these choreographers. And now that I've moved on from that period of my life, um, I love to go see these these people's work. Um, and it also offers me inspiration for where I hope one day to to rise as a, a dance maker. So um, these are also choreographers that have shaped my movement style and my dancing and my the techniques that I use when I create and um, help me push my own limits. Like every time I go see a, a new piece, it's not like I want to copy them. It's just that like, I'll be like, oh, I've never thought of approaching something in, in this way before. It's like a study. So um, pretty much always my number one I never really got to work directly with this guy, um, and I just missed the bus in my career because he was uh, running company, a company or companies actually in Europe. Uh, and then a year or two after I retired, he st- stopped running his company out there in uh, Germany, and he came back to the U.S. and now he's been. Uh, working with a lot of American companies. So I just missed the bus to actually get to work with him, but I've done some of his works. William Forsyth, he's always going to be number one for me because he was the, the, the choreographer that inspired me to trend, to change my career focus from jazz and musical theater to ballet. Um, my wonderful teacher, Miss Kim, uh, she was one of my, main ballet teachers until I was 17 years old. And she's really responsible for just like laying the groundwork for me to, to become the dancer and teacher and choreographer that I am today. She brought me to see, I think it was the very first stars of the 21st century, uh, gala at Lincoln center. And I've told this story before, but I think it's been a while since I told it. Um, I was into musical theater. I was being uh, mentored by Bob Rizzo. 
um, who was teaching at NYU and at Steps on Broadway. And I was doing a lot of jazz and modern dance and stuff like that. And I was just doing ballet on the side for my technique. Um, and she brought me up to see this gala. And I mean, I remember Marcelo Gomez from ABT was still in the core and he danced with Susan Joffe. And they did, I think they did Black Swan. And I remember seeing him do like five attitude turns on day or, and everybody went crazy. And I remember just being like, what? This is crazy. But um, the piece that really stood out to me was uh, William Forsyth in the middle, somewhat elevated. He, they did like a, <clears throat> an excerpt, like an abridged version. And they have, they do like weird things with the gala. It's not like anything close to the piece, but the pas de deux, like they'll do like a solo or two and then they'll do like a pas de deux from it. And I just remember being like, this cannot be ballet. Um, they're not wearing tutus, like, but she's on point and they're moving in ways that it was fascinating. So, um, for me, it just changed my view of ballet. Um, in the middle, somewhat elevated, obviously, to this day is one of my favorite pieces. I never got to perform it, but I did learn it uh, a couple times. Once when I was in Houston Ballet um, and once at Pacific Northwest Ballet. Uh, other favorites, Vertig the Vertiginous Thrill of Exactitude is a great short work. Everybody that's danced that piece says that uh, they feel like they, like when they run into the wings, they feel like they're going to vomit. But it's like one of those ballets that's so hard that when you get to the end, you, you just feel so, uh, so much, you're so gratified. Is that the word? Gratification? Um, so yeah, Vertiginous Thrill of Exactitude um, or Exactitude. Uh, I've also danced Artifact. I've, I've done just Artifact 2. I haven't seen the whole suite. I really want to see it. Um, I've seen video. Um, second Detail is great. Uh, it's, this is just some of my favorite choreography, but his he has a, an immense body of work, and his choreography has evolved greatly over the years. Um, but yeah, he was the one who was known for introducing more contortionist work into ballet. Um, like, He's super musical, very inventive improvisational techniques and extremely off-balance movements and partnering. So he, he truly, truly changed the face of partnering on, in a point shoot, in my opinion. So yeah, William Forsyth, spectacular. Um, next up, George Balanchine. Everybody knows George Balanchine. I don't feel like I really need to talk too much to who he is. If you don't know, go online and Google him. Um, but yeah, so when I first attended the School of American Ballet, which feeds into New York City Ballet, um, and which is the home of Balanchine and Balanchine choreography. Uh, I didn't really appreciate George Balanchine at the time. I wanted to be in American Ballet Theater, not New York City Ballet, but American Ballet Theater didn't have a school at the time. The, J the JKO, the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis uh, School of American Ballet Theater, or whatever exactly how they call it, um, it came... They, they, they built that school, I think, like two or three years after I became a professional, maybe two years. But yeah, so um, they didn't have a school at the time. And New York City Ballet was uh, the School of American Ballet, which, again, feeds into New York City Ballet. It was renowned um, and I wanted to be renowned. So I went there. Um, but I dreamed of American Ballet Theater while I was there just across the plaza at Lincoln Center. But yeah, as I started to learn the Balanchine way of moving and exploring more of his choreography, I became passionate about his work. Um, the first ballet of his that I fell in love with was A Midsummer's Night Dream. I saw it at the summer intensive and I would eventually dance it many times and dancing many roles all the way up to performing Puck, which was one of my career highlights. Um, 
I think perhaps I fell in love with A Midsummer's Night Dream because it it was more closely related to a full-length ballet like American Ballet Theater um, would perform. Typically at that time, ABT was only performing full-length classical ballets, not some of the more updated versions or some of the really historic ver- historical versions that they've been doing. Um, so I was used to like classical pas de deux with like the the adagio, the male variation, the female variation, and then the coda. Um, and like the, the plot and the storyline and more than one act like the story flowing from beyond one act. And I think that that's why I fell in love with the Midsummer's Night Dream. Um, they don't really follow the same like typical classical ballet pas de deux format, but just to have like a storyline throughout, uh, I was really drawn to it. And I feel like it was a really good bridge um, for, uh, it was a good bridge ballet for me to enjoy. Through through the work of Balanchine and and going to the school of American Ballet, I came to appreciate and value musicality above tricks. American Ballet Theater, um, it was very known for having, at that time, their male dancers were known to be like bravura dancers, like fireworks on stage. And I thought that that was so, like, that was so exciting to me. And it's really something that drew me to ballet because I wanted to be able to do those cool tricks. But then it's almost like uh, as you get older, you become more refined. As my, I had more like that was a pathway for me to fall in love with dance and to want to be a professional ballet dancer. But then once I went to the school of American ballet and started working, uh, in Balanchine's choreography, then my care for the art form and my appreciation for the art form became more refined. And I came to appreciate and value musicality above tricks. So honestly, I, I I don't think that I would have become a choreographer if I didn't have the experience of, uh, training in the Balanchine technique and then performing Balanchine's work. So I truly believe that it shaped me into the choreographer that I am today. Um, but yeah, it was Symphony and Three Movements and Rubies that really started to draw me into his work. I liked, like the music was very uh, riveting and exciting. Um, and the movement was very cool and the structure of the pieces like even just the beginning of both of those ballets uh rubies it's the the curtain comes up and all the dancers are standing on demi point and on point in a wide fourth position in a like an arc around the stage and they just stare at the audience and the music's going really intensely and then as soon as there's a transition from the the intro uh the dancers start stomping and it's just really intense from there. And then symphony in three movements, it starts with a diagonal of women in white leotards with long ponytails. And the second that the curtain comes up and the music starts, they all wind their arms up. Like they're winding up the, the front of a propeller on an airplane. Um, very cool. And then from there, Four Temperaments, Symphony in C, Concerto Barocco, La Valse, Theme and Variations, Ballet Imperial, Imperial, and so many more uh, have just become many of my favorite works to both watch and perform. So yeah, George Balanchine, one of my favorites. Uh, next up, a, a lovely lady, Christopher, P- Christopher. <laughs> that's a lovely, wonderful <laughs> Crystal Pite. Uh she was uh she's she's one of the few choreographers that i never got to work with and p and b performed 
one of her works like two years after I left. And uh, I would have loved to dance one of her works in my career. Um, the first work I ever saw of hers really spoiled me. And I saw this when I was in Seattle and it was at a smaller theater. Um, I can't remember the name of the theater. It was like, uh, in the box or at the box. Um, but it was a smaller theater that only seated like 200 to 300 people. And, um, the piece was called, or is called Dark Matters. And it, it's an evening length work. It's a two, two act work. I saw it in Seattle and, I just remember leaving that performance with my mouth like wide open. It was, it's still to this day, I've seen like hundreds, if not thousands of performances, um, top five. Um, the first half of the work was pure dance theater. It's about a toy, like a toy or doll maker. Um, and he makes this like wooden doll. And so there's that one character. And then you have the, the rest of the dancers are in black and they're like puppeteers. Um, and they make this doll come to life. It's fascinating. So the entire first act is mostly just like they're building the storyline for their interaction, um, to the point that the doll ends up killing his maker. And then as that happens, the entire set collapses and breaks down onto the stage, like not like slow, like crashes down. Um, and then you have an intermission and then the second act is pure dance. Crystal's theatricality and fluid movement style just really drew me in. Um, the contemporary work she develops is extremely technical and seamless too. And something that she's really well known for is that she has a great use and sense for lighting in her works. And I mean, I really like, what's that saying? Like tilt my hat. (laughs) That's not it, but is it? T- I tilt my hat. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say to her lighting design is because uh, all the works I've ever seen, she she does some really interesting work with, with lighting. Um, but yeah, she was one of the choreographers I always dreamed of dancing uh, her works, but I never got to add, add it to my resume. Um, other works of hers that I've seen or seen clips of, uh, Plot Point looks incredible and Pacific Northwest Ballet is actually supposed to tour to New York this summer and bring it to the city and I'm just really hoping that happens because I really, I really want to see it. Um, I've also loved her emergence and uh, her flight pattern looks really cool. She did that I think on the Royal Ballet or was it Paris Opera? Um, and then I've also seen a, a handful of times Grace Engine. Um, and I think that was one of her works that she was starting to like really start to get noticed in uh, the U.S. So um, I've seen the Juilliard do that. I've also seen, I think I saw Hubbard Street do it. I actually like Juilliard doing it better. Sorry, Hubbard Street. Um, <laughs> maybe it's because it was the first time that I saw it. Um, but yeah, Crystal Pite, she is top, top, top notch. And I'm so inspired by her theatricality. It, it, like, I feel like one of the pieces that I recently did in, in movement, the movement headquarters de- company debut was, uh, write a modern ritual. It's a mating ritual done to the music of, uh, Stravinsky, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. And, um, it's probably the most dance theater piece I've ever choreographed. And I don't think that I could have honestly, uh, created the piece if I didn't, have the if I didn't have the experience or if I hadn't had the experience of um seeing Crystal Pite's way of working um so just so you know you might hear some noise while I'm doing this podcast there's a thunderstorm that's approaching I love thunderstorms it's kind of early this year for a thunderstorm but 
you know, it's nice to have something different. So you might hear some thunder, wind, or some hail. But, um, all right, moving on. Wielden, Christopher Wielden. Um, Chris was always at the top of my list of choreographers I wanted to work with during my career, and I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to work with him a few times. Um, I actually saw him a couple months ago at the Joyce. We were chitty chatting, um, just catching up. But yeah, when he started to come out as a top choreographer in the dance world, I was just sort of uh, starting to become aware of what the dance world was. Um, that's when I started going to summer programs and learning about ballet companies. And he was just somebody that was like you had to work with if you wanted to say that you had like a legitimate career. I'm going to get some flack for saying that. But it was like that idea that like if you wanted to if you were working with like good companies, you were doing Chris Wilden's work. So, uh, he was often compared to, uh, as a young Balanchine at the time, I feel that he's really found his own place outside of that box. Um, and I, I've, I've really enjoyed watching him grow over the years. His work, uh, like many from Balanchine, from a Balanchine background, cause he was a soloist with New York city ballet. Um, it's extremely, extremely musical. Uh, he seems to tend to do more works that are plotless, but he's also been bridging the gap between, um, musical theater and, and theater and television and things like that. Um, he's also, in my opinion, extremely inventive an in, in, an extremely inventive crafter of pas de deux. Uh, some of the most interesting, uh, duet work I've ever seen has been his, his choreography, choreography. Um, one of my favorite memories of his work was watching a dress rehearsal at the Vail International Dance Festival at their outdoor amphitheater stage. Um, and we were touring with Pacific Northwest Ballet to the festival and we were having a, a dress rehearsal of all of the works and they were doing, um, they were at the point where they were doing After the Rain and not the whole piece, but just the pas de deux, which is often done as a standalone piece. And Carla Corbes and Jeff Stanton were having their run of the work before the evening show, and a thunderstorm was coming into the into the mountains, kind of like right now, except the mountains are skyscrapers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so a thunderstorm was coming in, and there were like little cracks of thunder and like little flashes of lightning in the distance, and um, it was starting and there was like a slow build of the storm and you started to hear like the rain like drizzling and hitting the garden surrounding the amphitheater and the trees and by the end of the pas de deux like it was a full-fledged thunderstorm um but it was like one of the most magical things I've ever seen in my life just to see like that mix of like nature and art coming together it was quite beautiful but yeah so uh other pieces i've loved to chris's his american in paris i thought was was great i was i always tell people this i I got cut in the very last cut and everybody else i went through multiple stages of the audition callbacks and um everybody that was left after i got cut made the show um but i'm not bitter about it i'm actually i think it was probably good i didn't get into it because i was burnt out at that point and i probably would have just hated hated my life who knows maybe it would have turned me around i don't know um i also loved his carousel which a lot of people say was his predecessor to an american paris um and then honestly one of my favorite pieces is mercurial maneuvers um the first time i saw it was right before i went to the summer intensive for the school american ballet they did a live at lincoln center um on pbs 
and this work was there and, and this work was in it. Ashley Bowder fell on her butt um, and she was in the core and it was great because everybody was like, she falls all the time because she gives so much to what she's doing. Um, but yeah, I, I remember just that piece and being like, that's a piece that I would love to dance. Um, and still to this day, they, they, they film him, they interview him, interviewed him and played some of what he was saying beforehand. And one thing that I, um, still to this day as a dance maker, I didn't even choreograph at the time, but it, it always struck me that he, when he said that one of his proudest moments in the piece was to leave some of the grandest music in silence or sorry, w- without any movement. Um, cause he said that when, when there's music going, you have the tendency to want to have dancers moving. And as a build, you want it to be like that big moment where like the, it's the biggest movement and the most dramatic movement. But he said that he was really proud to have chosen to just have the dancers. I think at the time it was, uh, Jennifer Ringer and Jock Soto and they, just stop and they stare at each other and they don't move. And it's really quite a, quite a beautiful moment. And I've taken that the way, like that idea that he, he mentioned and I I've, I've really found it to be extremely valuable and important as a dance maker to not always feel like you have to have people moving when the music is moving. It's okay to stop and pause. So yeah, hats off to Chris Wilden. He's definitely uh, one of my favorites. Um, next up, Val Canaparoli. Okay, I have to leave a disclaimer here. I Val is one of my great friends. I love Val dearly. He has he was a part of my career and we became friends through that and we've stayed in touch. We both understand the freelance life very well. He he has a permanent job as a principal character artist with uh, San Francisco Ballet, um, but he's also an internationally renowned choreographer. And so he travels a lot for, for work. And when I was traveling a lot for work, I still travel a lot, but not like constantly. Um, he was one of the people that was always there to talk to me and help me get through it. And he supports my work and, um, he's not, uh, competitive. Like he, he, he's supportive. Um, he doesn't get involved in any drama and he's just like, when you need a laugh, he, he's like the one that will make sure that you're not taking yourself too seriously. Um, and even when I've seen him have moments where uh, things have not gone in his favor, he's always had a levity and lightness and uh, kindness and a, a way of not taking himself too seriously. So um, that's my personal disclaimer, and I'm going to talk professionally. So um, I met Val in the studio uh, back my first year dancing with Pacific Northwest Ballet. Um, he, uh, has a charm about himself as a person, but that charm really comes through in his choreography. Um, he has just a a widely diverse body of work. He's done everything from, uh, large opera house ballets, full length ballets to one act ballets to smaller, more regional companies to opera and more edgy type things. He, he really has a, a full body of work, um, he, he's, and the other thing is he's been just relevant on the international dance scene for so many years. I don't think people realize, like, he's been choreographing since the 80s, at least the 80s, probably even before that, but, like, I think his name really started to become known in the 80s. Um, so what's that, 80s, 90s, 
2000s, 2010s, over 30 years. Um, he's been relevant in the dance scene. Um, and so his body of work has just become so prolific internationally. Honestly, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves for his work. Um, the first work that I got the Dance of Vows when I was at PNB, like I was saying earlier, um, was Lamborina, which is still one of my favorite works of his. It's inspired by African dance and rhythm, and then it's meshed together with ballet technique and Bach um, throughout. It's uh, probably his most famous work, um, but there's a reason for it. Um, I've seen a handful, I've actually performed in in a handful of his ballets. Um, and then I've seen a few, um, but there's actually two works that I, I'm most curious about that I've only seen clips of online. Um, he did, uh, the lot, uh, an adaptation of the lottery, which is a, a book that was made into like movie. And it's one of those dystopian stories of like, it's, it's a dystopian story of people, who are living in this like seemingly perfect society and the society, um, what they do is once a year, they all pick out of a lottery and the one person who picks the wrong, uh, piece of paper, they get stoned to death. Um, that looks really fascinating. And he, that actually inspired me as a choreographer to try chance operation, which is the idea that like, um, something happens in real time on stage and the dancers, uh, like decisions are made on stage in real time, um, versus like the dancers knowing everything that they're going to do before they, they start performing. Um, also one of his most famous works, uh, it's a full length ballet. I haven't seen, it's called lady of camellias. And I really want to see that. Um, I, I love performing in Val's, uh, the seasons. It, it was also, I believe Louisville ballet, Louisville ballet also did it. Um, but, uh, it's not very widely known, but I, I really enjoy the process of getting to work with Val on that. So yeah, Val Kennebroly. All right. My, my last choreographer, uh, favorite choreographer is Ohad Naharin. Um, I've been obsessed with Ohad's works for the past eight years. I didn't really know much about his about him just in general until I was introduced to his improvisational training tool Gaga. Um, but his work is fascinating and his dancers move unlike any dancers I've seen elsewhere. Um, I feel very lucky to have experienced some connection to this man through my training with fellow Israeli Roni Koresh in Philadelphia and taking Gaga dancer classes here in New York city. But, um, there was a point where I was like, oh, I'd love to dance in his company, but honestly, towards the end of my career, I don't know if my body would have survived his extremely intense movement style. Um, but if you haven't seen any of his work, you can easily go on Netflix and see uh, Mr. Gaga, which is a documentary that came out a handful of years ago about him. Um, it's it's a great film to watch, and you're probably all sitting at home, so it'll give you something to do. Um, but it's about his like rising star, like where he, like how he grew up, his rising star, and then his work with Batsheva Dance Company in um, Tel Aviv. I've I've now seen I think three of his works live, um, and what fascinates me most 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 about his work is beyond the movement is just the utter creativity and ideas and concepts and how he builds them into uh, thematic work um, that usually his works are like one act and they can go on for like 70 minutes. Um, my favorite piece that I've seen of his thus far is virus, um, where they have like a chalkboard and they're drawing throughout. Um, another thing that I really, uh, I've seen of his that I think is just fascinating is when he gets his dancers to do, uh, movements re repetitively and build the speed to the point where you're watching and you're just like, I cannot believe that they're doing it like this. Um, so yeah, Ohad Naharin. 
Um, other choreographers that I respect who you may want to check out on YouTube or research online are Jerome Robbins. I, I love Jerome Robbins. I should have included him on this list, but I feel like I've already done what one, two, three, four, five. Five is enough for now. Um, Justin Peck, David Dawson, Akram Khan, Sir Frederick Ashton, Sir Kenneth McMillan, Wayne McGregor, and Garrett Smith. These are all wonderful choreographers. Oh, I left another one out. Amy Seiwert. I love Amy Seiwert's work. She's the director of Sacramento Ballet. So um, if you need something to do and you want to learn a little bit more about people who are have created uh, works in the ballet world or who are creating works in the ballet world, check all these these artists, dance makers, choreographers, uh, innovators. Check them out. Um, and if you have a free moment, uh, you can just send me a message and tell me who your favorite choreographers are and why, um, so that I can continue to expand my idea of and knowledge of the dance world as well. Okay. So with that, I'm going to leave you again. I hope that you are all doing well and that you have not been affected, uh, too badly by this COVID-19 situation. Um, I hope that you are home. I hope that you are healthy and I hope that you are keeping yourself occupied and that you're being, uh, understanding and kind to yourself and not forcing too many expectations. I am a heavy expectation person, but now is not the time. All right. So take care, stay healthy, stay safe, stay home. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pata Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. If you'd like to learn more about my company, Movement Headquarters Ballet Company, you can also visit www.movementhqballet.org. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollas, or Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. I have Live of a Freelance Dancer, where I have been writing about working as a freelance artist and independent contractor for over five years. You can find that at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com. And I also have Dancing Offstage, and you can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com, wordpress.com, and that blog I use to write about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. If you want to see my choreography, you can head on over to YouTube and you can type in B Corollas in the search panel to see that. And if you'd like access to my educational dance videos, which include basic ballet, home bar, and conditioning, intermediate, advanced ballet, home bar, and and conditioning, uh, basic contemporary home class, and an intermediate advanced contemporary home warm-up class. Uh, You can also reach out to me uh, for access to those. Thanks for listening in to Pop the Chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.